Are you a mother, father or you are involved in caring for children? If yes, then listen to Ask the Pediatricians every Thursday by 10 a.m. for insightful discussion on popular child health topics such as dangerous child health practices, immunization, infant feeding, developmental milestones and so much more. You also get to ask questions on these topics and listen to answers to real-life child health issues by a pediatrician. Ask the Pediatricians Foundation is devoted to health education and information of parents and caregivers of children in the community to support you in raising healthy children. Don't miss Ask the Pediatricians with Dr. Bimi because it's informative, educative and interactive. Ask the Pediatricians Hour. The program for caring parents. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a fresh episode of Ask the Pediatrician Hour. Um, my name is Bimi Salaboide. I'm a pediatrician, and I'm going to be talking today about something very important as it relates to the health of our children. I want to thank you for joining us for today's broadcast. For those of you who are listening on Fresh Waves Radio, thank you so much for joining us. If you are watching on Axe Pediatricians Foundation, our Facebook page or our YouTube channel, or you are listening on my podcast, or you are watching also on Fresh Waves Radio Facebook page, I want to say thank you so much for joining us. Ask the Pediatrician Hour is a program where we talk about health of our children and we discuss important issues that relate to the health of our children. Our goal is to empower us as parents and caregivers of our children uh, to imbibe LD practices uh, that will ensure that our children live and not die. We are fully committed to the health and welfare of all children globally, but especially in Nigeria and in Sub-Saharan Africa, where more than 90% of all child deaths globally occur. So thank you so much for joining us. And today uh, we're going to be talking about epilepsy, all right? Epilepsy, I'm sure you will, uh, many people will be wondering uh, why are we talking about epilepsy? Uh, because this is one of those conditions that people tend to um, get um scared of and maybe there are a lot of stigma around it and actually on the 13th of february each year is the international epilepsy awareness day and so the theme for this year has been uh how we can stop the uh step up against the stigma there are a lot of stigma around epilepsy and so that is why we have to have a day where we can just talk about uh, uh removing this stigma and i think most of the stigma comes from the father people don't really understand what epilepsy is so today i'm going to kind of be creating awareness in line uh with the international epilepsy day uh which we just celebrated a couple of days ago um so i'm going to talk a lot more about epilepsy uh what is epilepsy what are the signs or the symptoms what is the 
cause? Uh, is it treatable? Is it curable? Is it preventable? Uh, does it occur only in children? Does it happen in adults? What can we do about it? So that is what we are going to be talking about today. So if you know anyone who you know should be part of this uh, uh, program, I want you to invite them. I want you to share the link to them so that they can, you know, join us to understand more about epilepsy. And maybe towards the end, if we still have time, I will try and talk a little bit about the myths. You know, I always like talking about myths and try to dismantle them because there are lots of myths around some medical conditions and these myths have what caused the problem uh, about people understanding and um, um that creates all those stigma around some conditions. And sometimes people die or children uh, don't get appropriate support because of these beliefs, because of these myths. And this is what we're trying to address by giving the right information and giving the right education so that we don't need to be worried and we don't need to be scared unnecessarily so welcome 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 and again just to remind you that if you have any questions about the topic about what we're discussing today you are welcome to post your questions on our ask the pediatricians foundation facebook group from mondays to saturdays 24 hours daily uh, we will try and address your question as soon as we can. All right, so let's start by looking at some key facts we know about epilepsy, all right? So when we talk about epilepsy, uh, epilepsy is a chronic condition that has to do with the brain. When we say something is chronic, it means a condition that can uh, happen for a long time and it's um, it is not communicable. In other words, it's not something that people can get from being near somebody. It's not like an infection. It's not like a virus. It's not like COVID-19 that okay, you say you should maintain social distance from those who have COVID because if you get close to them, you can have COVID. No, epilepsy is not communicable. In other words, staying with somebody who has epilepsy is not mean you're going to have epilepsy. So it's a chronic, it's a non-communicable disease that has to do with the brain. Okay, so there are other terms we use for epilepsy. We some people prefer to use what seizure disorder. So epilepsy means it's recurrent seizures, you know, and then we have to define what is seizure. So what happened in seizure is that there's an abnormal discharge in the brain, all right? And this abnormal discharge in the brain will manifest either in people having, you know, checking or what we call convulsions, or sometimes people just zoned out, you know, or staring, or, you know, they just blank out, or sometimes some people just drop on the floor. There are many ways in which you can um, manifest, but it's always like a sudden thing. It is not something those people have control over. Sometimes they can predict when it's about to happen. Sometimes they cannot. Sometimes they are aware when it is happening. Sometimes they are fully unconscious about what is happening, but there's an abnormal uh, electrical activity or discharge in the brain that leads to a manifestation. Most of us are familiar with the 
when the people check, you know, they stretched out or they begin to check what we tend to refer as conversions. But that is not the only way in which uh, seizures can manifest. It can manifest with just a child just zoned out completely. They just stare and you try to call them and they are just not responding. Sometimes some people will just have what we call drop attacks. Sometimes it will be as if they have a shock, what we call myoclonic checks. So there are many, many ways in which, uh, and sometimes it may even manifest as a behavior change, you know, you know, they start having some feelings maybe that are not necessarily there. So that is epilepsy. And now epilepsy, it affects people of all ages. So even though this I'm a pediatrician and I'm talking mostly about children, but epilepsy is not just only about children. Epilepsy affects people of all ages, adult children are affected by epilepsy. In fact, it is WHO estimated that there are about 50 million people in the world that have epilepsy, 50 million people. And that means it's one of the most common neurological condition or a condition that affects the brain. Epilepsy is most common of all of them. So it affects men, women, adults, children, about 50 million people in the world. And just like some other condition, 80% of people who live with epilepsy are living in low and middle income country. All right. And why is that? Is because most of the people who are still living with epilepsy if they get the right diagnosis and they get the right treatment, they will actually be free from epilepsy. And um, maybe because in the low and middle income countries, a lot of people, you know, I'm going to talk about the myths, they believe these things are spiritual, this is their demonic, it's witchcraft, and because of that, they don't seek the right um, assess, uh, assessment by the right professionals, get the right diagnosis, get the right drugs, and continue to take the medication. So a lot of people are living with epilepsy that should not be living with epilepsy. And that is why it's so common in low middle income country. I remember one of, uh, in the early days of HCP, a lady reached out to me and told me her sister has been having seizures since she was a teenager. I think she was in like 20 years old now, something like that. And when she told me about it, I just told her, uh, because she was an adult then, I referred her to one of my colleagues who is, who is into adult neurology. And she saw them put her on medication. Within a couple of years, she was completely seizure-free. I mean, the sister was so grateful. I mean, and, and, and just because the, she has never had opportunity to get the right diagnosis, the right treatment by the right professionals. And all she said, guessing that she became completely seizure-free. I think a couple of years later, she sent me, she's now married, she's having children. So there are lots of people who may be living with epilepsy, who ideally should not be living with epilepsy, but because they don't have diagnosis, they don't have treatment, and that's why they're still living with epilepsy. So and um, one of the challenge or one of the uh, difficult issues with epilepsy is that people who live with epilepsy are likely to die prematurely. You know, it is estimated that it's the rate of death in them is three times higher than the general population. So there was what we call sudden 
deaths associated with epilepsy, you know, is, is something that can happen. And that is why it's important for us to know. And it is one condition that is, uh, people tend to stigmatize a lot. People are just so scared of somebody who has maybe epilepsy attack or seizure, and then everybody kind of think maybe there's a foam coming out of their mouth and that foam is going to <laughs> affect them if you come near you you're also going to have epilepsy people will say oh, we don't want to marry into a family where they have epilepsy and all that so there's a lot of stigma and one of the things we're trying to do this year is that we want to reduce the stigma we want to actually step up against it we want to you know epilepsy is just like any other condition any other medical condition that people can have. It is something that can be diagnosed. It's something that can be treated. It is not communicable. We need to let people uh, know if they have epilepsy, get the right treatment and not be stigmatized in any way. All right. And, you know, three quarters of people with epilepsy who live in low middle income countries they don't have the treatment. They either they don't have the money or the treatment itself, the drugs are not there. And a lot of them suffer from discrimination. People say, well, we're not going to give you a job because we have epilepsy, or we're not allowing you to do this. You know, some people don't want to go to school because they're so embarrassed, you know, especially when you have seizures. So these are the challenges with epilepsy, all right? And we need to understand what epilepsy is and then we now need to know how to uh, deal with all this unnecessary stigma and discrimination. So again, just to start, epilepsy means there's recurrent seizures. So all somebody has had seizure twice, they have epilepsy. People don't like, especially in Africa, they don't like the word epilepsy. But it is just... Um, it doesn't, it's, it's because of all those uh, stigma and discrimination people associated with epilepsy. But epilepsy just means seizures. Once you have seizures more than twice, especially if seizure without fever, we talk about epilepsy. All right. Some people call it seizure disorder because people, when they hear epilepsy, they get so scared. So people tend to, some people like using seizure disorder. But the real word that most people use all over the world is epilepsy. And it just means, recurrent seizures. And when we say seizures, seizures are involuntary uh, episodes, you know, that may involve part of the body, sometimes involve one part of the body, or what we call partial, or it can involve the entire body, what we call generalized. It can be uh, associated with loss of consciousness um, or control. So sometimes uh, people, when they're having seizures, they will not, they will lose control of their bladder, so they may pull on themselves or they may weigh on themselves. So that is what a seizure is. Something is happening in the brain, okay? There's an uh, excessive or sudden electric discharge in the brain, and that's now manifest, you know, and different parts of the brain could be affected. Yeah, so that would determine which uh, part of the body the seizure manifests. And some seizures can be very brief, you know, you know some children have what we call absent seizures where they they kind of just zone out, they may be talking and then they will suddenly pause uh, as if you know, they stop talking about then they'll just continue again from where they stop. And sometimes if the teacher is teaching them, they, they take a part and 
the the kind of zonas in the middle, and this can happen several times a day. So you can imagine that child will struggle with learning in the classroom, and it can just be that kind of brief, and it's still a seizure, or it can be the you know the frank checking, um, move you know movements of the hands or stiffening of the whole body, and what we people what we normally call convulsions, and they are all seizures. So there are different kinds of seizures. So convulsions are seizures, but it's not only convulsions that are seizures. There are other seizures that are not, in, that you, the, the child may not be checking or be stiff and all that. Sometimes it's just that blank staring that is that seizure. And so we need to understand that. And some people have seizures very frequently. Some people have several seizures in a day. However, some children will just have the seizure maybe once, you know. So maybe have the seizure this year and they may not have again, say, maybe a couple of years down the line. And sometimes doctors are like, should we start treatment or should we not treat? Because these seizures are not so frequent. But some children have seizures like daily. Some can have several episodes in a day. So one thing we need to understand that having just one seizure does not mean you have epilepsy. And up to 10% of people in the world will have at least one seizure in their lifetime, you know? So if you have just one seizure, we will not say you've had epilepsy, right? But epilepsy is when the seizures become recurring two, three, four, and above. So that is now epilepsy. So once you have two or more unprovoked seizures, then we say you have epilepsy. And it is one of the oldest recognized conditions. Even in the Bible, you talk about people having epilepsy, like the boy that the father brought to Jesus and the disciples were there and they could not even help. You know, that child was having epileptic seizures and was throwing the child. So you can see something that is as old as uh, any other medical condition. So it is very well recognized. But despite that, it is one of the oldest recognized medical condition. There's still a lot of fear. Like I said, a lot of people don't like hearing the word epilepsy, especially in Africa and Nigeria specifically. Uh, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of misunderstanding. There's a lot of discrimination, social stigma, uh, around epilepsy for a long time. I remember growing up and people would say before you can marry into a family, they have to go and do a form of a <laughs> which, which we, we actually call it genetic evaluation. But in those days, even though they don't have that much knowledge, but they kind of do it. So they do kind of family and social history and they want to find out whether there's epilepsy in this family. And consciously or unconsciously, they already know that those conditions can be genetic. So it can be inherited from one to another. And people say, I don't want to marry into that family because I don't want my children to have epilepsy. Of course, some epilepsies are genetic, but not all are genetic. So that is just what epilepsy means. Now, what are the signs? What are the symptoms of epilepsy? Like I said, epilepsy is the recurrent seizure. So when you talk about the signs and symptoms, we're talking about the seizures, okay? And I've already described how seizures will look like. So the seizure is actually what you see, and that is what 
Yeah, those are the things you will see in the place. But we can we can break it down a little bit more. So, like I said, it depends on which part of the brain that discharge. But what really happened in epilepsy is that something is discharging abnormally in the brain. Electrical activity that normally should go should not happen is happening. And depending on where it is happening, depending on how frequently it's happening, so there are be there are many symptoms. Some people may become unconscious, you know, during having during the seizure. Uh, some people will have abnormal movement, checking, stiffening, you know, like a shock, what we call myoclonic check. Sometimes they feel unusual sensation. They may be seeing things, they may be hearing things, they may be tasting things. Sometimes the mood will change, you know. So these are the um, the things that you will see when somebody is having epilepsy. But because during the process of having that seizure, other things can happen. So for example, somebody who is having epilepsy, you just suddenly drop on the floor and that means they can eat their head, they can sustain fractures, they can have injuries and bruises from those, uh, because they are not conscious, they, they can't predict when it's happening, it just happens suddenly. You know, sometimes some people have what we call horror, they begin to feel something is about to happen. But some people don't feel any it just happen and it, sometimes it happens even during sleep when you know which sometimes can be difficult for parents because you won't know whether the child is having seizure unless you're actually sleeping in the room with the children so and of course because of that a lot of people who have epilepsy now begin to get uh actually when they are older teenagers for example they begin to get depressed and shares embarrassed that can now lead to other mental health issue and of course we talk about the risks of premature deaths in epilepsy three times higher than that of the general population especially in rural areas in low-income areas all right so what is the cause and i think that's the question people always want to know what is the cause of epilepsy i mean why how do you how do you, how does it happen why will some people have epilepsy and all that so again uh let's start by saying epilepsy is not contagious so you don't get epilepsy because you help somebody who has epilepsy or you clean their saliva or you try to you know support them in any way. No, you don't get epilepsy by touching saliva or any of those things that people used to say. We need to get rid of those myths. All right. So the problem in epilepsy has to do with the brain. All right. It has to do with the brain. And however, most of the time, 50% of the time, we don't actually know what causes that abnormal firing in the brain. We don't know why it happens. So we always say 50% uh, of the causes of epilepsy, we don't know. We, we call it idiopathic. In other words, it's unknown. It just happened. And which is um, you know, so that's what they don't have epilepsy in my family. Why would my child have seizure? Why would my child have epilepsy? Sometimes it can just happen randomly for no absolutely no reason. So majority, 50% of cases of epilepsy, there is no specific cause in, you know, why it happened. However, there are other conditions that can actually, there are other epilepsy that we can, we know why they happen. We can predict why it will happen. So, like we said, it has to do with abnormal distress in the brain. So anything that affects the brain, that causes abnormality within the brain, it's a, it, it, that 
can that area can discharge abnormally and because that area can discharge abnormally then that can lead to epilepsy so there are conditions that can lead to epilepsy so we know condition that can lead to epilepsy but we also know there are some epilepsy that we don't know the cause so those conditions could be if this, the brain itself, during the formation of the brain, it is not properly formed. You know, when the baby is being formed in the womb, the brain is also being formed from the third week. If anything happens and some part of the brain is not properly formed, that area of the brain, that structural abnormality in the brain can lead to the child having uh, abnormal discharge and that can cause uh, epileptic seizures. All right. Sometimes it can be genetic, you know, so we know, just like I said, even the African world, even without knowing all that medical medicine stuff, they know that this thing can happen again in other family. So that tells us that there are some epilepsies that are genetic. They tend to run in families. So if somebody already has this, another person can also have it. And this is, we now have technology for doing genetic tests to know what genetic condition can lead to epilepsy. So we can even predict those ones. So if you know the cause of this epilepsy is genetic, then we can tell you whether it's something that can happen in other family members down the line. Also, sometimes if there's infection, so infection in the brain, like cerebral malaria, meningitis, encephalitis, any infection in the brain, even worms, sometimes worms get into the brain and they can form something like a, a, they, they, they can get insisted into the brain and they can now also be epilepsy. So that is why the warming is so important <laughs> when we talk about the warming, because we also don't can actually get into the brain and cause epilepsy. So any infection in the brain, it can happen when the infection is ongoing. It can also happen after the infection has been treated. In other words, it's become what we call sequelae or consequences of long-term complications. So a child has had meningitis. We've eventually treated the meningitis. But during the process where the child has meningitis, meningitis has caused some injury or damage in the brain. And therefore, the child may have a long-term consequence, and one of which can be epilepsy, and the child can start having seizures. So structural abnormalities of the brain, genetic causes, infection in the brain, some other metabolic conditions, some immune conditions, they also can cause epilepsy. So while 50% of the time we don't know the cause of epilepsy, 50% of the time, we also know things that can lead to epilepsy. So brain damage, for example, if a child was born not crying at birth, which is why we want you to divide your baby in hospitals where they can make sure that if the baby's not breathing in the first one minute, what we call the golden minutes, we can breathe for the baby because if we don't do that, it's not that just that the child may die. Sometimes the children will not die. They will eventually cry or breathe, but the brain starts to die within five minutes of no oxygen. So even though eventually we may be able to get the child resuscitated, but some parts of the brain may have been damaged. And those parts of the brain are areas that can lead to abnormal discharges in future, and that child can have epilepsy. Also, so, like I said, if the brain itself is not properly formed, there are many malformations that can happen in the brain. Uh, the, the convolution of the brain may not be properly convoluted or some parts is, you know, it's just there or there's some 
part that has extra blood cell or whatever. There's so many things that can go wrong during the brain formation, and that can lead to um, epilepsy and the child having seizures in future. Head injury. In lots of mothers, and it really emphasizes, they trivialize children falling. You see a lot of people just putting their children on the couch or on the bed that doesn't have gas, and these children roll and fall, and they eat their head on the floor. This is a preventable cause of epilepsy because this can lead to head injury. So we should be very, very conscious about our children. You know, this is why when they go in the car, they need to use their seatbelts. They need to wear helmets when they are riding their bikes. They we don't put babies on couches. We don't put babies on bed that doesn't have guards so that they don't roll and fall. A normal child who doesn't have any problem just can have a fall, and that child can develop head injury, severe head injury, and that child is going to may have complications in future of epilepsy. So it is important that we, these are preventable ones, stroke. There are many conditions that can cause stroke. Stroke basically mean um, either loss of blood supply to some part of the brain or there's the, 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 uh, the blood supply in that area, there's a bleed in the brain, depending on which one, but whatever, there's loss of oxygen supply to the brain, whether due to heart condition, whether due to sickle cell anemia, any condition that leads to oxygen deprivation in the brain, causing stroke can also lead to epilepsy. We've talked about infections of the brain, meningitis, encephalitis, neurosystem psychosis, that is when there's the worms get into the brain and they form a cyst inside there, they can also lead to epilepsy. And of course, infections, you know, uh, tumor, brain tumor, yes. I've seen one of my patients came to me because of epilepsy, and, you know, luckily it was private hospital, and I was just like, okay, as part of the workup, let's do the EEG. I wasn't even expressing brain tumor. I just, as part of just workup, let us do a brain scan, make sure we cover it, especially if there's no other thing causing this epilepsy. I just think it's one of those, idiopathic epilepsy that we don't know the cause that we just treat and the child we find after two years. Lo and behold, this girl has a brain tumor. I was like, wow, thank God I did a scan of the brain. You know, in Africa, you rationalize what you do, what you don't do because of money. But luckily, it's one of those children that we decided to scan. And the child actually has a tumor. And that's what is causing the seizure. And luckily, we're able to get the child operated by the neurosurgeons. And the seizure stopped. The child recover well, and the child is doing so well. So brain tumor. So if a child is having seizures and your doctor asks for a brain scan, don't say, oh, it's too expensive. Please do it. We don't know whether the child may be having a brain tumor, which we need to do it. So these are all the possible causes of epilepsy. And the most important thing is for us to remember that there are some cases that we still don't know because there's no cause. We call it idiopathic. No, sometimes these days, due to advancing technology, um, our genet the genetic um, uh, specialty, they are really on fire these days, and they are beginning to discover more and more gene um, changes in genes that we don't know before. And they are now beginning to find out that some of those cases that we used to say we don't know, they are now beginning to find that some of them are actually genetic epilepsy. They are caused by abnormalities in the genes that 
code for those areas of the brain. All right, so that is the cause. So we've talked about what epilepsy is, recurrent seizures, we've described seizures, we've talked about what we see, the symptoms and the sign. Now we've talked about what causes epilepsy. Emphasizing that 50% of the time we don't know, 50% of the time it could be any anything going wrong in the brain can lead to a child having epilepsy. Now, the most important thing is that is epilepsy treatable? Yes. And that's a very important thing. Epilepsy is one condition that is treatable and that can be curable. So I have treated many children with epilepsy and they are fine and they no longer have seizures. So it is possible to treat epilepsy. It is possible to cure epilepsy. However, it's not like that in all cases. So there are some cases of epilepsies that we can they may still have epilepsy for a long time. They have to be on medication for a long time, especially when there's something really wrong in the brain. In other words, we know there's something wrong in the brain, and that is what is causing this epilepsy. Those epilepsies sometimes are a little bit more difficult to treat, and sometimes some of them go on for long, even into adults. Would. So there are epilepsies that are some, some majority of epilepsies we can treat them with medications and they, they will be fine. Within a couple of years, the children will become what we call seizure free. In other words, they will stop having the epileptic uh, discharges and all that. So there are epilepsies that we can treat and there are different treatment options. All right, we have drugs, you know. So we have drugs, we have surgery, we have diet method. There are different ways in which you can treat epilepsy. So if a child have seizures, it is important that you go and see the doctors and that you see the right doctors, especially in those of us in Africa, low middle income countries. It's important that we don't uh, spiritualize epilepsy. It's important that we don't make it a demon affair or witchcraft affair. I'm still going to talk about the myths. It's so important because this is the reason some children don't get treated because people think, oh, it's a it's an attack from the village or it's a um, it's a witchcraft or it's demonic or it's a spirit, you know. Uh, whereas we don't say there are no demons or there are no witchcraft and all that, but most children who have epilepsy don't have any demonic attack, they don't have any witchcraft, they have pure medical issues in their brain which can be treated. So before you jump on the wagon of spiritual, let's try the medical first. So take the child to the hospital. And let us see. So usually when we see the child, we'll ask you questions. We'll, so the best thing we like to do is to see the seizure because we like to, we, there are different kinds of seizures, there are different kinds of epilepsy, depending on what we say. So we like to see. So eyewitness accounts is the most important. So what I normally tell my parents is that when your child is having a seizure, thank God for video phones, camera phones. So these days, everybody can record, you know, on the phone. So get out your phone, record that episode for us, save it and bring it to the hospital. That is the best history the doctor wants to say. So when you come to the hospital, we ask you questions, how long I tried to be having seizures, how many episodes, also time it, how long did it happen for? Is it 60 seconds? Is it one minute, uh, two minutes, five minutes, one hour, two hours? You know, we need to know all this information. We need to know 
what really happened. Is the person aware? Did they become unconscious? Did they drop on the floor? Whatever. So we need to have all this information. So when you go to the hospital, doctor will ask you all these questions. But best if you can record that episode and show it to the doctor. That's the best. Just record it. And then with the information you give us, we can easily make a diagnosis. Diagnosis of epilepsy is clinical. I need to emphasize that because I see a lot of parents telling me, oh, my child is on seizure medication, especially those who have additional learning needs, uh, children with special uh, needs. And a lot of them have put on medication for seizures. And then I ask the mother, does your child have seizures? They say, no. And I'm like, how oh, was the child put on this medication? They're like, oh, he did an EEG. And EEG was not, the doctor said there was seizure on the EEG. And that's why the child is on medication. Please see, epilepsy diagnosis is clinical the child must have seizures physical something that we can see the eeg is only to help us characterize what kind of epilepsy and all that the eeg does not give your child seizures all right so don't start taking medication don't see a doctor who will tell you just because your child has an abnormal EEG then I'm going to put them on medication for seizures. That is wrong. And it is so common in Africa because I guess epilepsy medication is one of the few medications we have for children who have um, all these uh, special needs. And people just like to blow people with medication. It is wrong. All right. So, so those parents who are listening to me, if your child has not had seizures and your child is on medication for seizures just because of a test, Please, you need to see your doctor and that medication needs to be stopped. All right. So um, we need to have seen a child have the seizure. There must be the physical history of seizures seen, observed by eyewitness. EEG is only going to add. 10% of the entire population will have an abnormal EEG, even though you've never had seizures. So abnormal EEG does not mean you have seizures, okay? Because some people will have abnormal EEG and they don't really have any seizures. And also the, the contrary is true as well. You, a child can have seizures physically and we can do an EEG that will be normal. So a normal EEG does not rule out seizures in a child, does not rule out epilepsy. So EEG is not the make or break of seizures. Our clinic is a clinical diagnosis that you know, you have the doctor's name. So if you, if you are for the children, please see your pediatrician, preferably your pediatric neurologist. For the adults, they can see the adults neurologist. It's so important that we get that clear. So seizures, there will be the symptoms, there will be the sign, the child has a seizure, he had it once, he had it twice, unprovoked, there was no fever. Yes, that is epilepsy. You see the doctor, we take the history we examine the child then we can do tests usually we like to do eeg sometimes we like to do brain scans some some kind of eeg we want to do it when the child is sleeping we sometimes want to do it when the child is awake sometimes we want to do eeg over like 24 hours sometimes we want to do with eeg and video together you know we do what we call telemetry so there are different things your doctor may have to, to do so this is important that we do them. And then we'll, we also sometimes we do some blood tests because like I said, some other medical, some other conditions can actually 
lead to seizures as well. So we may want to do blood tests. Sometimes we need to do a brain scan. Sometimes we want to do genetic tests where it is available. That is not readily available in Africa, but we tend to do EEG a lot. And of course, brain scans to make sure there's no tumor or structural abnormalities in the brain. So these are the things we would do. Please, we usually don't do this for the first seizure. So a lot of parents panic. They try that seizure once. And then they begin to panic. They want us to do EEG, MRI, blah, blah. We usually we don't do it for the first seizure because, like I said at the introduction part, a lot of people may have seizure just once in their lifetime and they will never have another one. So one seizure does not equate epilepsy. So we're not going to start running and doing tests unless we strongly suspect that you you are prone to have epilepsy maybe because of family history or genetic condition. But otherwise, we will usually we wait for the second seizure to happen. So after the second seizure, that is when we want to do all these tests, brain scans, EEG, and all that. But before then, we usually will not. We will just say watch and wait. I know it's somehow tricky for parents to watch and wait, but sometimes we just watch and wait. And if it happens again, yes. And we're talking of seizure without fever. We've, we've talked about febrile conversion at other times. That is a different thing. That is no epilepsy. Febrile conversion is no epilepsy. So it is a fever that is causing a conversion. This time around, we're talking of a seizure that is not provoked. There's no fever. There's nothing. It just happened. And it has happened twice. Then that is epilepsy. And then we take the history. We do the test. And then we confirm the diagnosis. And then we tell you about the treatment. Okay. So number one treatment is drugs. We have what we call anti-epileptic drugs. There are not so many of them. We have maybe about 20 or plus. We are beginning to get some new ones. So we usually, based on the EEG, based on the characteristic of the seizure, what we call semiology and all that, it will help us to decide which drug is best for your child. So we will start the drugs. Most time we like to start with just one drug. And then sometimes we start with a very small dose. Most of the time, some drugs are once a day. Most of them are twice daily. A few of them, maybe three times a day. And then we gradually, sometimes when we just start the medication, it is important for you to know that decision may not stop completely. It may reduce, but it may not stop. So be patient because this is some of the challenges we have. Some people immediately start medication. It is not like malaria drug. This, uh, this is a long-term condition. This is a chronic condition. So we start the medication. We have to gradually, what we call titrate it. We increase it gradually until we get what is the best dose for your child. And then we're also watching for side effects. So it's a game of what we work and will not give side effects. And so we're trying to balance the two. So please, when your doctors are doing that process, don't be impatient. You will, the child will still have seizures because a lot of some parents will just say, oh, it didn't work. I'm going now to the next place. I'm going to Babalawo, Babalese Church. No, please be patient with the doctors. And it is those conditions are not conditions that you see your doctor and then you take off forever because you've used medication, it has worked. Ah, then I don't see my doctor again. And some people will even stop the medication. No. The medication for seizures, you are, the child is going to take it for a long time. Not less than two years in most cases. Not less than two years. Whether the child is having the seizures or not, they are going to be taking that medication. So these are very important. One of the things I always do when I see my parents, the first, the consultation is more of having this conversation. 
really making sure we understand what is going on. This is not malaria. This is not uh, something you should be talking about for five days. This is a condition we're going to treat for two years. This is a condition that we're going to be increasing the dose. Sometimes if this doesn't work, because sometimes we never know what is going to work for one person, sometimes we need to change. We may try what the the one that we think should work. Sometimes it doesn't work, then we change to another one. And before we change to another one, we must have make sure we've used the, at least the maximum dose of the first one. If it doesn't work or the child is having terrible side effects, we will have to stop. And when we stop this medication, we don't just stop them done like that. We don't just stop them abruptly because the child is going to have more seizures when you do that, which is what normally scares me. I said a lot of parents, they will just stop this medication. They don't even bother. <laughs> so it's not right. So we have to give it, stop it gradually. And then start another one slowly again, slowly, and then see whether that works. Sometimes we have to use two drugs together. Sometimes we have to use three drugs. By the time we're getting to that point, that child has to be with a neurologist, that has to be with a specialist because we're dealing with something more, what we call refractory epilepsy. Those are the epilepsy that don't respond to treatment on time. A few percentage of children have those kind of epilepsy that don't respond to treatment on time. So we have to treat them, you know, with multiple drugs, watching out for side effects, monitoring drug levels and all that. Because those drugs are, some of them are very dangerous for the liver, for the kidneys. So we have to monitor all these things, you know, and some of them offer other side effects. Some of them can make people to start thinking of killing themselves or because suicidal ideation. So that is why it's so important that if your child has epilepsy, your child must be with the right doctors. It is not every doctor that can treat epilepsy. And there are some drugs we don't like to use in children. I've seen children one phenobarbitone. These are children who are going to school. We don't like to use those kind of drugs in school children because it doesn't help their learning. It affects their ability to learn. So you don't just go to any doctor. Please, if it's a child having epilepsy, you must see a pediatrician, minimum pediatrician. Uh, best you see a pediatric neurologist or a developmental pediatrician because there are things we are very, you know, some people just think, just give it any drug. No, there are different drugs for different kind of people. There are drugs we don't use in teenage girls, for example. We don't use sepilim in teenage girls because it can affect their, if they should get pregnant, it's going to affect the babies. So we don't want to use that drug in them. So there are things that we consider when it comes to drugs. And please don't take uh, drug suggestions from fellow parents. Oh, my child also had a blessing. Is this one that they use and it works? It may not work for your own child and it may not be appropriate for your own child. Some children also react to certain drugs. These are all the things the doctor is thinking about when giving drugs. So please stick with your doctor, your pediatrician, follow the advice on the medication dose. Remember that we may need to adjust the dose. Remember we need to, we always increase the dose at some point. As the children gets bigger, their weight increase. We need to increase. If we don't increase, the child is having seizures again. Remember that this is a long-term treatment. And remember that when we are ready to stop it, we don't just suddenly stop it. So don't say, oh, my child has not had seizures for six months, so I don't need the medication again. No, sir. 
you need to keep giving the medication until your doctor says it is time to stop it. And your doctor will also give you a plan on how we're going to stop it gradually. Some of us do it over three months, some people do it over six months because the slower, the better. So that when the child comes off the medication, they don't have what we call rebound seizures. Okay, so it's so important that we do it right. So there's a lot of medication when it comes to seizures and we need to do it right. It's okay. Some children can take tablets, some cannot take tablets, some can take liquid. So we just need to do it right. All right. So sometimes medication does not work for some children. There are other treatment methods. We have what we call ketogenic diets, which we sometimes try. It's more of giving children lots of fats and less carbohydrate diets. We do use it sometimes for some very severe epilepsy that doesn't seem to be responding to drugs. So usually we need a dietitian. It's not something, it's not like a ketogenic diet for losing weight. So if dietitian has to be involved, they have to monitor. There are many things involved. So don't just do it on your own. You have to do it with your doctors and your dietitian. All right. Sometimes we need to do surgery. There are epilepsy that we sometimes have to do surgery for. So the pediatric neurologist will advise which case is a surgical kind of epilepsy. Um, there are also other figure maneuver procedures that we can do. So there are different methods for treating epilepsy, but majority of them we treat them with drugs. Majority with the right drug at the right dose for the right duration, the children will become seizure-free, hopefully, and then we can gradually take them off the medication. So that is the treatment for epilepsy. All right, as we begin to round up, um, the question is, can we prevent epilepsy? Is it preventable? Uh, yes, if you remember the course, definitely some kind of epilepsies are preventable, some are not, obviously. For example, if you don't know the cause of the epilepsy, those kind of epilepsy, we cannot talk about prevention. But the epilepsies that can be prevented are those ones that are due to um causes, like causes that we have control over. So about 25% of epilepsies are preventable. Preventing head injury is, and like I said earlier, when I was talking about the cause of epilepsy, it always amazes me how sometimes some mothers can be so careless when children are falling and falls. So I, I think I'm going to take another series again on fall. I've done it before. Force is something that can lead to head injury and can lead to epilepsy. It is one thing that we can prevent in our children. So that is one cause of epilepsy that we can prevent. So avoid force. Let our children wear head melts. And some children tend to drop, have what we call drop attacks. So, so for such children, we need to put helmets for them. Road traffic accidents, another reason why children can have head injury sports, you know. So we need to be very careful to avoid all this edge injury that can now lead to post-traumatic epilepsy. Of course, epilepsy due to the fact that the child didn't cry at birth. Perinatal care. It is why we, you know, we start talking about pregnancy, delivering the right setting is so important because some of those children will live, but they're going to live with epilepsy because even though we eventually managed to keep them alive, they've suffered brain injury because oxygen does not get to the brain. Please, if the doctor say your child needs to be delivered via cesarean section, go for it. I always tell parents, it is not just about you delivering your baby vaginally. It is not just about you delivering a life baby. 
It is about delivering a baby with an intact brain that the brain has not been injured, which is what the doctors are worried about. Because when there's fetal distress, there's no oxygen supply to the brain. The baby is stressed. Everybody, you know, the brain is going. Brain gone, that's it. And brain is one organ in the body that we don't recover. The brain does not heal again. So if the part of the brain is dead, it's dead. It's gone forever. The worst, the best that can happen is that some other part of the brain can try to take over and try to compensate for the part that we've lost. But that part that has been lost is lost. The brain doesn't grow back. It doesn't regenerate. That is it. So we are very, very particular about not allowing injury to the brain of a newborn, of a fetus, of a growing baby. The first five years of life, we don't want any injury to the brain. It's a growing brain. It's a developing brain. Any injury to that brain is consequences forever. So maybe not crying at birth because of poor antenatal perinatal care is something that we can prevent. So all these delivery in hospitals, in churches, in places where they don't have CBAs and uh, traditional birth attendants, places where they don't have the right to uh, care for your baby properly, we need to stop it, all right? All right, so uh, also children who have fibrous seizures, we need to treat them. I know fibrile conversion is not epilepsy, but some fibrile conversion, if you don't treat it on time, they can become what we call complex fibrile conversion. That they happen several times. And because when conversion is happening, it's also compromised oxygen supply, blood supply to the brain. So the brain can also now become injured. And that is now what we now lead to epilepsy. So we can definitely prevent that. All right. Also, other health issues that can affect the brain, like those who have cardiac problem, heart problem, we need to treat it on time. Sometimes when we treat it on time, then it's not going to have like, you know, secondary effect on the brain, like stroke and all those things. Children with uh, sickle cell anemia, we need to treat them. We need to, sometimes we need to be transfusing them so that they don't have stroke, so that they don't develop epilepsy and all that. So infections, we can prevent meningitis through taking immunizations and all that. So these are all these things that we can do. So doing those things that we have control over will reduce at least 25% of epilepsy. We can prevent 25% of epilepsy. Of course, we can prevent genetic epilepsy. We can prevent idiopathic ones, the ones that we don't want the cause. But at least if we try to deal with the ones that we can, then we can manage the rest of them. So that is um, things that we can do about epilepsy. So I've been talking about epilepsy. I've talked about what epilepsy is. I've talked about how the causes of epilepsy, the symptoms, and I've talked about the treatment, and I've also talked about how to prevent it. There are lots of myths around epilepsy. I don't think I have time to even go into that today, but there are lots of stigma and all that. So maybe I'm going to do another talk on that entirely because I think it's, it, it will take another hour or so just talking through epilepsy. But as a roundup, I just want to encourage you that if your child is having frequency it is treatable and it can be cured sometimes. So please do not sit at home, do not uh, wish it away, or do not think it's an attack or spiritual thing. Please seek the right intervention 
take your child to the hospital with a pediatrician, let them examine the baby, even for adults, because adults also have epilepsy. Most epilepsies are treatable. They are, some are preventable. We can actually cure some of them. So that should give us hope. And let's stop stigmatizing those who have epilepsy. Epilepsy is just like any other medical conditions. It's just that it has to do with the brain. So let's step up and stop the stigma around children, adults with epilepsy. All right. So thank you so much for listening to me today. Uh, we'll, hopefully, maybe another time I will talk more about the stigma and I'll talk about more about the myths and around epilepsy and how we can uh, stop that, but I will leave that for today. If you have any questions about epilepsy, if you have any questions about any medical condition affecting children, feel free to go to Ask the Pediatrician Facebook group. You can miss our Facebook group on Facebook. You can ask your questions there and we'll try and answer them. And hopefully one of these days we're also going to have our live Q&A sessions where we just take questions on some of the topics that we've discussed in the past. So thank you so much for joining us. And remember to share our videos, share the podcast, share the link. Let people know a lot about what you're learning. And together we can put a stigma to epilepsy. And together we can keep our children well, safe, and alive. Thank you so much. Till I see you next time for another beautiful episode uh talking about the health of our children i'm just saying have a wonderful and a blessed day bye bye are you a mother father or you are involved in caring for children If yes, then listen to Ask the Pediatricians every Thursday by 10 a.m. for insightful discussion on popular child health topics such as dangerous child health practices, immunization, infant feeding, developmental milestones and so much more. You also get to ask questions on these topics and listen to answers to real-life child health issues by a pediatrician. Ask the Pediatricians Foundation is devoted to health education and information of parents and caregivers of children in the community to support you in raising healthy children. Don't miss Ask the Pediatricians with Dr. Bimi because it's informative, educative and interactive. Ask the Pediatricians Hour, the program for caring parents.